This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Chris Novak, President and CEO of CropLife America. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer spends $2 billion annually developing biological and chemical products, as well as digital innovations to enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with CropLife CEO Chris Novak next. Nearly 40% of the food crops grown globally are lost every year to plant pests and diseases, a difficult statistic to accept when looking at a rapidly expanding population. That's why Bayer works to provide farmers with tools they need to confront this challenge. Tools that include biological and chemical products as well as important digital innovations that enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever before. Integrated Weed Management, or IWM, is the hallmark of everything Bayer does to help farmers protect their crops. Bayer has championed IWM for generations within the ag industry. In fact, Bayer invests over $2 billion in research and development for farming solutions every year, and a major part of that is into more solutions for IWM. That investment has nearly doubled the spending of their closest competitors. To find out more about how Bayer is working to help farmers fight resistance, visit Bayer.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With the size of the 2021 crop harvest coming into clear focus, the attention of the market now turns to farmer intentions for planting next year. The availability of price of fertilizer is top of mind for farmers. But Chris Novak, president and CEO of CropLife America, says there may also be supply challenges for crop protection products as well. I can't make assurances at this point in time. I know that, that our companies are working to uh, shore up uh, wherever they can, uh, any gaps in the supply chain. I can express appreciation to the EPA, uh, which earlier this year, as a result of the Texas freeze uh, and that ingredient shortage that I mentioned, we, Crop Life, turned to EPA and asked them to approve substitute ingredients uh, that could be used in the manufacture of pesticides. Obviously, we have to prove to EPA the safety of these substitute ingredients. And so that was a little bit of a process, but through two different actions, first in April and then later in May, EPA did allow us to make substitutions of some of the ingredients that were short uh, as a result of the Texas Gulf freeze. We're continuing to look at our supply, the supply chain for our member companies and identify where and how we can take steps uh, as an association on behalf of our members uh, to address any of those gaps. Also working this week, a good conversation this morning with two of my colleagues, uh, the American Soybean Association, the Fertilizer Institute, uh, as uh, our group of CEOs who meet regularly uh, on behalf of agriculture are, are looking at the supply chain issues that go not only from fertilizer and pesticides, but tractor parts and, and a host of other goods that farmers rely on. We are looking to say where where can and should we be asking the government uh, to address issues. We know, for example, hours of service for 
truckers, and that is capped uh, to ensure highway safety and, and at the same time a, a relaxation, even a small relaxation of those hours of service rules can obviously increase uh, trucking capacity uh, across the country in a significant way. So that's an example of the type of policy recommendation that we will be working together to develop and present to the government, not only on behalf of the pesticide industry, but on behalf of, of all of agriculture. I've seen comments from ag retailers suggesting to farmers that they could not guarantee product availability and they could not suggest price. I, I know that that is the reality. Uh, I, I will say we're probably still assessing the impact of, of you know this summer's hurricanes in terms of the availability of pesticide supplies. But I certainly know that you know our members are working hard to ensure that they've got product in position for next spring's crop. What about glyphosate? It, it was uh, one of the, the larger glyphosate production plants that was impacted by Hurricane Ida. I will admit I haven't heard any recent updates uh, in terms of if that plant is is back up and and online, but obviously you know we we know that you know when you have a, a hurricane come through uh, as damaging as what Ida was, just ensuring that all of the pipes and fixtures and fittings uh, are you know back in place and and working appropriately it takes a little bit of time. You know we know that there will certainly be a slowdown in uh, the manufacture of that product as a result of the natural disasters, but but again I I know that our companies are are working to try to close and fill that that supply gap as quickly as they can. So, so let's expand, if we can, just a bit of the challenges that are with your companies, the manufacturing. Chris, is it labor? Is it petroleum prices? Is it availability of raw products here in the U.S. or from overseas? Uh, is there any one single source for the issue that we're facing? I, I would say, Jeff, the correct answer is E, all of the above. You know, we saw tariffs uh, over the last several years that certainly impacted the flow and cost of either ingredients or finished finished pesticide products, uh, you know, coming into uh, the United States, uh, the pandemic uh, clearly disrupting the workforce, uh, and and again, um, you know, good good reports um, uh, from our members in terms of of uh, you know protecting the safety of their workforce. And at the same time, um, you know, there is uh, the, the, the great resignation of, of 2021, uh, as we're seeing, you know, Americans across the country uh, look at, you know, changing, changing jobs and reordering their lives. Uh, obviously, we're not uh, immune from that as vaccine mandates are being put in place uh, within a number of companies. You know, clearly that, that uh, you know, has the potential to, you know, create shifts in the workforce. Um, uh, you know, our companies are working to uh, address that as best as they can. But but labor supply is, uh, I think, going to continue to be a challenge for us. And it's it's not just labor supply. Obviously, uh, for many of our manufacturers, it is uh, about skilled labor uh, and folks that have the right set of expertise uh, to be able to work work within a uh, pesticide manufacturing process. You do have to look at the, the compounding effect uh, when you have these changes uh, as a result of COVID, when you have natural disasters uh, that impact the industry, when you have trade policies uh, that were put in place uh, over the last several years uh, that uh, strain, strained uh, the supply chain, 
Um, you know, we also know that the container availability, even for our manufacturers, how, how they get goods in from overseas that are important to their manufacturing process and, and there weren't containers available. So all of these things ultimately feed off of one another and, and create uh, the type of supply challenges that we're seeing, not just, not just in our industry, uh, clearly, but, but across, across the economy. So the answer to this question is probably more regulatory than from the manufacturing standpoint, but from your perspective, Chris, what's the fate of Dicamba for 2022 and beyond? I'm going to be confident that EPA's uh, registration of Dicamba uh, that was put forward in 2020 uh, was done an eye towards how do you ensure a, a longer term and more permanent solution. You know, we certainly can acknowledge uh, the EPA and Inspector General had raised questions about the 2018 approval and the role that how how the science scientific recommendations uh, in 2018 um, may not have been followed in the way that they should. But I think those issues were addressed with respect to the 2020 registration uh, of Dicamba. And to the extent that you know, we are hopeful uh, that EPA's commitment to uh, scientific integrity and support for the scientific recommendations coming from the career staff at EPA will continue to be upheld. Hopeful that that means continued product availability uh, for Dicamba in 2022, but uh, uh, you know we'll 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 be picking up those conversations with EPA as as we look to the future. Chris, we're stepping off into the deeper water now. If I name products like atrazine and paraquat, glyphosate, of chlorpyrifos, just a few that have been caught uh, in the 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 divide between science and the court of public opinion and the litigation process. Uh, how is how is this conflict that is evident today affecting your industry, and what threat is there to agriculture as this science versus opinion debate carry on? One of the things that we cheered last year uh, through the through the campaign was that uh, uh, President Biden did have uh, a campaign theme uh, that focused on science over fiction and the need to ensure that we were paying attention and making decisions based upon the best science available. Now that said, I, I think that you know his focus there was on public health and vaccinations and uh, the importance of utilizing science to drive uh, our COVID policy. And at the same time, you know, our, our challenge to the Biden administration and our request to the Biden administration has been, um, if you truly have that commitment to science, then you have to utilize that same scientific approach as you are evaluating pesticide products. Um, I would contend that, you know, the, the EPA's recent decision on chlorpyrifos um, was a decision that was far more political than it was science-based. Um, our, our conversations with EPA uh, and, and those of our, our company members uh, who uh, manufacture chlorpyrifos, um, EPA was looking at allowing a, a number of continued uses of chlorpyrifos 
which was based upon the data that had come back from uh, the career scientists working at EPA. But Chlorpyrifos uh, had had its own plank in the Democratic uh, uh, National National Committee's platform, uh, calling for the removal of that product. And I think at the end of the day, EPA's action simply was reflective of that political pressure, rather than listening to you know what are the career scientists telling us. And that's that's unfortunate. Uh, and certainly is a conversation that we will continue to have uh, with this administration. Um, again, because we know that you can't make political decisions on pesticides uh, and, and ensure that farmers have the tools that they need. You have to take a systems approach. Uh, we know the Biden administration is committed to climate change uh, improvements. And uh, conservation tillage and the use of cover crops on the farm are two farm practices that rely upon the use of pesticides and yet are also practices that are vital to uh, the sequestration of carbon and and a reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, that commitment to science, uh, we hope, uh, continues, uh, but absolutely essential to truly improving environmental quality. Inside the U.S. regulatory process, the relationship of products and the Endangered Species Act has been raised more than once. Is this an area that Congress needs to address? At this juncture, I'm optimistic that there is a great deal of opportunity for the Biden administration to make significant strides in improving the process. you know, we we have been working with and engaging with uh, members of the the, N- the NGO community, environmental organizations uh, that are committed uh, to the defense and protection of endangered species. They can look at what is happening today, what's happened in the past, uh, in that uh, there is not a true and effective conversation or consultation going taking place between. Uh, the Department of Interior, uh, which has the, the primary responsibility for uh, enforcing the Endangered Species Act, and, and EPA, which has the responsibility for registering pesticides. Um, that should be a, a natural and an automatic part of registering a new pesticide, and yet, unfortunately, uh, that conversation, uh, that consultation is not one that has regularly taken place. We don't have to have Congress to step in to do that. But we certainly do need the agencies to work together uh, to ensure uh, that process is is completed uh, quickly and efficiently uh, in a manner that is uh, not only responsive to you know our members who are looking to register pesticides um, within a timely fashion, but also um, that consultation does need to ensure the protection of threatened and endangered species and. Uh, the recent conversations, EPA is now leading workshops that will bring together farmers, farm organizations. It will bring, you know, environmental uh, organizations together along with the pesticide industry to say, how can we do this better? And we see real promise uh, in the opportunity to make some changes that we hope will have a lasting, lasting impact. Uh, for us, uh, for farmers, as well as for threatened and endangered species. I think if we were having the conversation with farmers, their suggestion for the future would be that of predictability. 
to know what tools they are going to have available and to be able to know that they could make plans in their operations for being able to use those products. I would also guess that the members of CropLife America would like some predictability as well so they know how to advance and attract investors and to continue to grow your industry. I, I just want to say, can I get an amen from my brother Nally? <laughs> um, uh, yes, business certainty uh, is, is the core of what farmers need. Uh, it's the core of, of what you know my industry needs. Going back to you know twelve years to develop uh, and you know get approval for a new chemistry, you have to have an understanding that as you are investing. Uh, what today is is going to be over four hundred million dollars to to you know, develop and bring that new chemistry to market that you ha- are going to have the opportunity once you register that pesticide uh, to be able to sell that product to farmers and recoup some of that research investment. And yet when we see endangered species lawsuits that are filed as soon as uh, the EPA has given approval for a new chemistry, Obviously, that doesn't uh, speak to that idea of legal certainty uh, for uh, the the products uh, that are being uh, researched, developed, and, and registered by the EPA. Nearly every level of government is discussing climate, climate change, climate smart agriculture. Um, what role can your industry play? What role does your industry play in helping farmers be more sustainable. We want to be there to support uh, the farm customers that we serve uh, and ensure that they do have the tools available uh, to uh, continue to uh, implement, uh, you know, conservation and climate climate-friendly practices. One of NCGA's priorities was cover crops, and to utilize a cover crop system today you do need to utilize uh, pesticides as a part of a of, of burning down that cover crop before you would plant your primary crop in the spring. So, you know, we know that these climate friendly practices are reliant upon pesticides uh, to ensure uh, that we're not only reducing greenhouse gas emissions but also reducing erosion and and uh, helping to enhance and protect water quality. We are going to continue to work with with, uh, farm organizations and our farm customers uh, to identify and promote uh, not only farm practices but also farm policy changes that may be helpful uh, to making agriculture a broader part of the climate solution. Traditionally, if you're a company and you're trying to stay in business, you would be doing research to find ways to sell more of the product that you make to your customers and increase your customer base. When I look at some of the research that is going on of the member companies of CropLife America, yours is actually looking at ways to reduce the amount of product that's used in the environment and to help your customers be more successful. That is a very challenging front, but it is one that appears to be you are openly embracing. Jeff Nally, you don't throw many softballs at me, but uh, I'll, I'll appreciate uh, the opportunity that uh, you, you gave. You gave a beautiful, beautiful opening for me uh, to talk about the fact that preserving and protecting our chemistries uh, for the long term uh, certainly is a you know valuable part of our business model. 
So, yes, if we can use variable rate technology, if we can work with farmers uh, who may be, you know, beginning to adopt, uh, you know, s- spray technology that uh, utilizes cameras so that the sprayer only only sprays where the where the camera identifies weeds. Um, if we can develop uh, the use of uh, biological pest- biopesticides or, or biological treatments uh, that may replace uh, the use of chemistries. And, and replace is the wrong word because if we can use a biological treatment and that reduces our use of a particular chemistry this year, that also ensures that we're not developing resistance to that chemistry and that can extend the useful life of that product. But that's also why it's it's so absolutely critical that we don't have regulatory decisions that aren't science-based because farmers may still you know, farmers may still have wanted to have utilized chlorpyrifos. They clearly could have utilized chlorpyrifos safely based upon EPA science. But now that tool's been removed, and and without that, farmers have one less tool in their toolbox that they can pull out uh, when they have insect challenges and insect pressure. So, yes, we are going to continue to look for ways that we can ensure that we're delivering the right pesticide um where it's needed and when it's needed, um, and that may mean that you know we're we're putting smaller volumes out. Uh, but we also know in the long term, if we can help farmers manage resistance, uh, that that's also beneficial to us in the long term. And really, again, I would say the the, the most basic answer to your question is um, our business is not chemistry. Our business is helping farmers control weeds and insects uh, that can destroy their crop. And and if we take that approach, uh, you are seeing our companies invest in, in a variety of different technologies uh, that are all aimed at helping the farmer improve uh, their control of, of the pest threats uh, to agriculture. Well, Chris Novak, I know few people who have such broad experience in agriculture from working the halls of Congress uh, to uh, crop producers in Indiana to the National Corn Growers, the National Pork Board, and now Crop Life America. Uh, just thank you for your service to the industry and the work that you will do in the balance of your career. Thank you for being on this edition of Open Mic. Chris, it is Open Mic. You've been here before, and today you know you get the last word. Well, uh, to your point on how we're utilizing technology, we are committed to sustainability uh, and as I look at what our member companies are doing uh, to potentially reduce volumes, to ensure that the chemistries that we're bringing forward today are more targeted and more environmentally friendly, uh, work that our companies are doing with farmers to plant pollinator habitat and to ensure uh, that we do have habitat uh, available for threatened and endangered species there's a lot uh, that consumers, you know, don't know uh, or misunderstand with respect to our industry. Uh, but I'm truly proud of the work that our companies are doing to really create a sustainable future for our food supply. Our thanks to Chris Novak, President and CEO of Crop Life America, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Sciences, investing and in developing technologies like integrated weed management to help farmers produce more with fewer inputs to feed a growing world. For AgriPulse, 
I'm Jeff Nelly.